Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Uh, we will continue our worship this morning as we hear a scripture reading from Keith, um, a reading from a few di- different gospels. So let's listen now and, and see what the Spirit is saying. Amen. Hear now God's word. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. But when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. When Mary said this, she fell silent since the Savior had spoken to her of all these things. But Andrew answered, saying to the brothers, say what you think about what she said. I do not believe that the Savior said this. These teachings are of strange ideas. Peter also opposed her about all of this. He's asked the other disciples about the Savior. Did he really speak to a woman secretly without our knowledge and not openly? Are we to turn and all listen to her? Did he prefer her to us? 
Then Mary wept and said to Peter, my brother, Peter, what do you think? Do you think I concocted this in my heart or I am lying about the Savior? Levi answered, saying to Peter, Peter, you are always angry. Now I see you contending against this woman as if against an adversary. If the Savior made her worthy, who are you to reject her? Surely the Savior knows her very well, and that is why he loved her more than us. We should be ashamed and put on the perfect person and be with him as he commanded us. And we should preach the gospel without making any rule or law other than what the Savior said. When Levi said these things, they began to go out to proclaim and to preach. The Gospels of John, Mark, Luke, and Mary Magdalene. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jill. I love that song. It was a delight. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Garcia. My preferred pronouns are they, then theirs. And I've been a member of Park Avenue Baptist Church for about two, two and a half years now, something like that. Um, and this is my second time preaching, and it's always a, a real blessing to be able to share space with the people I love. And um, also to be able to share some light heresy without getting burned at the stake. That feels good for me, personally. Um, hold on, I, wanna, I wanted to record this for posterity. I have my good camera over here. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be talking today um, about some texts that you might not be familiar with. Um, because it's not in the Bible that your mama handed to you when you were 13 years old. Um, and so uh, let me just get into it. Let me tell you about me real quick. I graduated from Columbia Theological Seminary a little bit ago. feel really proud of myself. I almost quit a few times, and it's because of folks around here that I didn't. And when I started at CTS, I was positive that I wanted to be a pastor, and I wanted to shepherd a flock. I wanted to lead I wanted to have an MDiv, the letters R-E-V, in front of my name. It would mean that I knew what I was talking about. It would give me a level of credibility and authority that would make them listen to me. Them being the proverbial threat of a conservative Christian who might oppose my life's work. Or so that's what I'd tell myself. But if I am uh, being honest, um, when I say them, I have specific faces that pop up in my mind. It's people from my past who have hurt me. It's people who have heard my entire story, told me they loved me, and then when push came to shove, they could not or would not show up for me for whatever reason. So I started pursuing theological education in some ways out of spite, I think. It was kind of a middle finger to the person who wrote both my reference letter for seminary and also told me at the same time that I wasn't allowed to lead a Bible study because I was gay. So uh, another way, it was a way for me to become more learned than all of the theobrogens out there. And what I mean by that is like a, the a, a bro, like, like a real college frat bro who also happens to read like C.S. Lewis and he thinks he knows everything because he's Calvinist, that guy. Uh, I wanted, to be, I wanted to know more than them because I know that they haven't read anything new in like probably 20 years. Uh, it was a way for me to, in some ways, 
build a shield of faith so wide that when like these, these arrows are flung, like no weapon formed against me could stand. But here we are at the apocalypse of all things. And I can see how really foolish I was. And fun fact about the word apocalypse, it doesn't mean the end of the world. It literally means a peeling back or an uncovering to see what's underneath it all. And that's what's happening right now. Uh, so I, I desired really badly to have a place at the table, begging for crumbs from the master's seat. And I completely forgot how, you know, Jesus does not serve his family crumbs. And in fact, I think it was a woman who changed his mind about that. My first semester here at Columbia Theological, I took this class called The History of Christianities with Dr. Haruka Ward. And I was intrigued by the use of the words Christianities as a plural, because her main point was, uh, in this course was to help us understand the history of our faith and historically what has been left out. The voices of the most important people, women, marginalized folks who had a hand in creating the foundation of our faith. And yet we rarely hear about them on Sunday mornings or in Sunday school or in our children's, you know, Bible storybooks. Since that class, I've not only wondered about these voices that were silenced by imperial Christianity, I wonder how those voices may have shifted the course of Christianity itself, the church as an institution. In the text that Keith read earlier, the woman central in all of these texts is a woman named Miriam of Magdala, better known as Mary Magdalene. Like, as a historical person, what we know about her is that she was a benefactress of Jesus's ministry. And in the gospels, it said that Jesus drove seven demons from her. It doesn't go beyond that in the canonical gospels, however, but in the gospel of Philip, Philip refers to Mary Magdalene as the kononos of Jesus. And kononos is the Greek word that translates as companion or partner. And Philip goes on to say that Jesus loved her more than any other disciple and often kissed her on the mouth. And now some people here are saying, wait a second, this sounds like heresy, Kevin. And my question to you is, according to who? And we'll get into that in a second. I think it's important to, to talk about these different accounts of Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry and also how we talk about Mary Magdalene in general because it changes how we read all of these texts. For a long time, Mary Magdalene has been made into this aside story in the ministry and life of Jesus on the earth, and also a side story in the life of the early church. On top of that, one of the Pope Gregory's out there mischaracterized her as the penitent prostitute, um, referring to the seven demons which Jesus drove from her. And that's only reinforced the oppression of women and reinforced power structures that have led to a lot of the world's pain and uh, pain at the hands of the church, no less. So when we see Mary, not as just a woman who was along for the ride or just some Jesus groupie, but as Jesus's possible partner and the first apostle, not apostle to the apostles, but the first apostle period, when we notice her as the one person who Jesus appeared to first, and that's important, it changes things. So in these uh, texts that I strung together from uh, three different gospels, plus 
the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the story we see is right after uh, the resurrection, right? Mary is weeping at the tomb and she rolls up there and she sees two angels that are sitting at G where Jesus's head would and where Jesus's feet were. And she's not freaked out. And can we pause for like two seconds and say, what? You roll up in the tomb and you just see two angels and you're just like, so there's like, hey, why are you weeping? And she's like, oh my God, like, I don't know where Jesus is. And she's like, she knew they were angels. Everybody else in the Bible is freaked out by angels. You're telling me that Mary is just chill with these angels, okay? You know, that's just, that strikes me a bit odd. And I also wonder if that was something that, what if that was normal for her? What if she was someone who was so worthy, so in tune with Holy Spirit and the teachings of Jesus that like she was worthy, worthy enough to see, worthy enough for God's messengers to appear to her. You know, that's what, at least what the Bible shows me. Like angels show up to people whom God wants to use. So, you know, I'm just reading the Bible. I don't know about y'all. And so she turns around and she runs into Jesus, doesn't recognize him, thinks he's the gardener until uh, he says her name and she says Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not cling to me. Go and tell my brothers. And so she runs, she proclaims, I have seen the Lord. And then they do not believe her. The text from Luke that says, uh, it actually says that there was three, the three Marys were there. And in Luke, the translation where it says their words seemed like nonsense. Fun fact about that. And if you are uh, offended easily by poor language, mom, I know you're watching. I'm sorry. Uh, it translates most closely as horse shit. The apostles called the witness of the resurrection, called her story horse shit. These are the apostles, right? Not believing the truth. Come on, somebody. How many times have men got it wrong in the past and I'm not hating on men? I'm just saying, you know, we have a track record, y'all. So fast forward, we're at uh, the part where it says, when Mary heard all this, she wept. This is a scene from the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. And she has just finished sharing with the rest of the disciples the things which Christ revealed to her, beautiful teachings about how to free the body and soul in this lifetime. It is powerful poetry and imagery. And Andrew and Peter oppose her. And they say, say what you want about her. These are strange teachings. Over and over and over again, Mary has shared her revelation, both in canonical gospels and in these texts which the church has suppressed historically. Mary shares to her these things and she is not believed. Her words are called strange teaching. Do you know what else historically has been called strange teaching? Abolition. You know, that's what slaveholders said about, you know, not, you know, about slavery not being a great thing. They said, that's strange teaching. That's what men said about women having the right to vote. It's like, ooh, that's strange teaching. That's what um, society said about people of different races being married. It's strange teaching. That is what the church has historically said about eight, two, two people of any gender expression getting married to one another. Strange teaching. It's what they say about, you know, queer folks standing in the pulpit, you know, or even just queer people being included in the family of God. They say, strange teaching, y'all. And Mary looks at her brother, her fellow sojourner, and says, you don't believe me. Why? You know me. Why would you think that I would make this up? From the get-go, they don't trust her, probably because she's a woman, and I'm just making an assumption there. And 
Levi has to stick up for her, another apostle. I think it's very interesting that it isn't until someone used their privilege to stand up for a marginalized person that then this band of God's of Jesus's uh, apostles then went out to preach and proclaim. Once they got past this, when Levi finally said, we shouldn't make any rules except for what Jesus said. What a concept. Do you know how often I've had to ask people the same question? Why don't you believe me? You know, I tell my story. Uh, I tell about what spirit has done for me, what makes me come alive and how spirit has changed me, used me. And because I am a queer person, because I don't believe the same way that someone else says that I have to, because I was born into a system and a church and a world, frankly, that does not like to change. I have people who look at me and they say, these are strange teachings. And I can't help but get my feelings hurt sometimes because I think of the experiences that I've been blocked from. I think about the opportunities that I've lost, the spaces I will never have access to because I told the truth about who I was. However, it's not my business to manage other people's reactions to the truth. It is only my obligation to tell the truth, the truth that Christ has given me, the truth that Christ calls me worthy. And the same it was true for Mary Magdalene. Mary spoke the truth of what she experienced, of the experiences she had of Christ, in spite of the opposition from within her own community. She was called and made worthy by Jesus, their teacher and her partner, worthy enough to be appeared to first, worthy enough to receive wisdom that only she as a woman could receive and pass on, worthy enough to play a, pr a prominent role in some of the earliest multiplicities of Christianities, and yet we never hear about her. Much of Mary's story has been obscured by the imperial church's destruction and suppression of the texts that did not play well into the narrative that emphasized a power dynamic between Christ and the church. And now we can see that playing out between the church and the world. But for a moment, let's imagine something. What if her story survived? What if women had a seat at the table from the very beginning? What if the feminine was never distorted or demonized? What if sex was never scrutinized, but seen as holy and natural and good? I can't but help imagine a Christianity that not only heals the world, but effectively brings the kingdom at hand into visible sight. Hearing this story, Hearing this claim, I imagine uh, for some folks who hear this, it might make you feel a little uneasy. And you might again say, this is heresy. You're pushing the bond you know, a little too far. It's cool that you're being queer and Christian now, but this is too much, Kevin. But I will not be anything but truthful with you. Because like on the days that I actually like believe well, like I truly believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead and really appeared to Mary and the disciples, and maybe even 500 other followers, maybe even Paul, and maybe Jesus is still appearing, the Spirit still actually speaking and giving us Holy Scripture beyond what man's canon can contain, and I say man's canon on purpose. 
The witness of Mary Magdalene for me has been to finally discover my own authority as a witness to the resurrection. My own life where I have been instructed by Christ to go tell my brothers, go tell the family of God what I that I have seen the Lord. And like, so, like, like Sister Mary, so many of us, despite having our intimacy and knowledge of Jesus, we still get discounted and sidelined and silenced and ignored. And yet, Mary's ministry and life flourished despite her brothers, despite the opposing forces facing her, and despite even imperial Christianity trying to suppress her and her story for 2,000 years, she's finally come around for such a time as this. Come on, Holy Ghost. Mary is every one of us who has been kept out of the pulpit for one reason or another. She's every one of us who has had our voices silenced by power and our power stripped away by our systems. She is the one who has endured, hidden and waiting. She is wisdom waiting to be discovered. She's another example of what radical union of, with Christ can be and what we can do with the help of the one who frees us in the here and now in these bodies. I, like Mary Magdalene, have so much I wanna to say to the world. I long for circles that heal the wounds that the church has caused, circles like this one. I see priests and shamans and healers leading us back to ourselves. I hear the heretic voices of today being heralded as the prophets in an age of awakening. When I started to get my degree at Columbia Theological Seminary, I was trying to qualify myself in a system that I frankly no longer believe in. I mean, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. I have wanted and needed something new. You know, I have wanted and needed people to stop policing my beliefs, to stop questioning my witness and let me do my work. Levi says in the final passage in the Gospel of Mary, that we should preach the gospel without making any rule or law other than what the savior said. And then they began to go out and to proclaim and to preach. Mary's faith and testimony shows me a faith that would honestly change the world. That love really is stronger than death and that it's always the voices who appear to be breaking the rules that end up being closest to God. So family, May we all have the courage, even in the face of the world's disbelief, to proclaim boldly, I have seen the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust, knowing that the God that created you loves you and empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively, and serve creatively. Mm -hmm.